Let's go! The 4 o'clock football frenzy. Hey, you hit me so hard down there. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. 4 o'clock hour is here. Former UNLV quarterback and one of the voices of UNLV football on radio. Caleb Herring will join us. We just had some uh, breaking news with uh, running Rebel basketball as they had a Tuesday game next week against San Diego State. That's now been postponed, so it looks like San Diego State has been hit really hard by COVID and they're going to miss three straight games. Well, there are other games that needed to be rescheduled, so now UNLV will be at San Jose State on Monday. And for the life of me, if I had to repeat or remember the rest of the schedule for the for the next five days, uh, I need it in front of me. I, I can't freaking remember. Um Mm. Damn, I was just about to do a promotional pop for, listen, when it comes to the Run Rebels, there's no one you want to party more with than Tyler Bischoff. So we'll have to find out if his watch party next week will be on Monday now that the Tuesday watch party uh, is likely canceled since there won't be a game. But we'll get the details on that ASAP. Uh, Ari, reach out to our excellent sales staff on that one and see if we can get an answer before the end of the show. They did a great job uh, partnering up with PTs. But basically what we're doing, uh, and we'll find out what's going on if it's uh, on Monday um, with the Tuesday game gone bye-bye. There's going to be six different games where you can go watch the Rebels along with a Lotus Broadcasting personality. Uh, It's at the PTs right there on East Tropicana, Maryland, right near UNLV. You can watch the game, enjoy $10 Miller Lite pitchers, score cool prizes. Who doesn't want a cornhole game, right? But one of those that has the UNLV logo on it, that'd be cool. UNLV shirts, hats, uh, plus you can enter to win a staycation at the Strat and potentially win beer for a year from Miller Lite. So we'll find out about the deal uh, next week. Uh, The one that is set in stone for the uh, following week or so is the game of Colorado State, but it it should work for the games at Colorado State, at Utah State, at Fresno State, at Reno, ugh, and the final game of the season, March 5th, at New Mexico. It's all brought to you by PT's Pub and Miller Lite. Crunch, crunch. <laughs> Cofield, we can't move on. No, Cofield, I have one question for you before we move Reverse on. Reverse the crunch, crunch. Uh, I, come on, Ari. Anyway, um, would it be possible for me to get a different cornhole game? Do you got any chance that we have a Kodak Black cornhole game? <laughs> <laughs> just what I think you would get a lot of listeners I'm just backyard saying, you really want to backyard yeah. cornhole with some twerking yeah. yeah a little a little backyard cornhole with Kodak Black we would fill up those remotes in a heartbeat I think we'll be fine without 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 uh, Kodak Black but uh, we'll see fine crunch, crunch. We'll see. all right crunch crunch <laughs> well this is no fun to report uh Gino Smith Again, with a major misstep, uh, was driving erratically at 96 miles an hour and is in trouble. Yeah, uh, this this is ugly. Um, Geno Smith it gets popped, and uh, the thing that stood out to me, Cofield, is that he's driving 96 miles an hour, which for the average human being is obviously quite a bit over the top. And yet, all I can think about is Henry Ruggs. All I can think about is that 
it's nearly 60 miles an hour slower than Henry Ruggs was driving. Um, although it does appear that Geno Smith was able to put a little cherry on the top of his by, uh, what is this, accusing one of the arresting cops of having a small D. I don't okay. think that gets you. I don't think that wins you any. Uh, I don't think that wins you any curry curried favor with the. That's uh, not ta- that's not talking your way out of a ticket. No, no. I think that's the, that's talking your way into them saying, "Oh, did we say ninety six? We meant nine hundred and six. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, Gino ain't a smart guy. He's uh, consistently shown to be lacking maturity and intelligence way too often. Is your head still spinning from what just happened with the Raiders? It's hard because it's not over, right? Uh, like you, yep. you say, whenever you go through a traumatic situation or a big event, you always think to yourself, well, yeah, oof, now that it's over, I can really take in what happened. But, I mean, Cofield, the ride's ongoing. How has this happened? Listen, we don't have to explain to the Vegas audience because you lived it. All the stuff that went on before the season and around this team. But when you list it, and I know Paul Gutierrez did it for a story on ESPN.com, when you list everything that should have been a season-wrecking hurdle along the way, it is incredible what this team overcame. You need to go check this out if you're a Raider fan. And it's not just us plugging ESPN content. Oh, you guys, go look at the ESPN guy. Team players, man. Team players, yep. It's all we no, do. It's, it's all, all we do. We we yeah. pump the hell out of national. We love them. It's, it's what we're here for, man. Uh, hashtag affiliate life. So we are looking at Paul Gutierrez and saying, you, sir, put this all in one place. The timeline of basically training camp through now for the Raiders. And I think we end up getting caught up in every little thing that happens and forgetting the totality uh-huh. of this season for the Raiders. Right. You could just you can point to him. And you can point to rugs, and either one of those would be the largest event to happen to most teams, I'd say, in at least a five-year span, maybe even ten. And both of them happened within six weeks. And for the Las Vegas Raiders to be where they are right now, look, I tweeted out the other day the fact that in the last 20 years, the modern playoff era of the last 20 years of the NFL, the Raiders have the fourth worst point differential of any team they are not empirically a good football team and that should take nothing away from the fact that rich Passaccia and Derek carr have steered this team to where they are right now having gone through everything that they've gone through i forgot about the training camp fight with the rams right like there are things that i'm just not even nate hobbs getting popped for dui would be a major story in any other year and i think it's Henry Ruggs. We just kind of look at it like, well, it's not as bad as Henry Ruggs. It's been and a traumatic know, it, year. You know, it's funny. The other thing, and uh, Willie Ramirez was nice enough to uh, track down a quick conversation with Charles Woodson. And in the conversation, he said uh, he talked about uh, Mark leaving. And Charles Woodson's like, Mark. Right. Yeah, Mark Bedane, the yep. longtime right-hand man of Mark Davis running the business side of the organization. One of the keys to getting the team to Vegas decides a month before the season to walk away in a shroud of secrecy. And then we find out 
you know, a few weeks later that there could be massive financial improprieties going on. And that's why Bedane and many of his guys walked on the organization. And that is like story nine of the season. It's unbelievable. Mark Bedane is as responsible as any human being for the Raiders being in Las Vegas right now. Mark Bedane and Mark Davis orchestrated this thing from start to finish. Mark Bedane was the face of the entire move. Every time there was a meeting of the stadium authority and I was out there looking for someone to talk to, Mark Bedane was being surrounded by reporters. And the fact that he might be involved in some level of financial impropriety, allegedly, is amazing to consider because it's the sort of thing that we look on the far side of what's happened with the Raiders and say, oh yeah, that too? Goodness gracious. So I encourage you to go to ESPN.com, check out Paul Gutierrez's story, just to remind yourself leading up to this game. Think to yourself, as a Raiders fan, no matter what happens this weekend, think about what this team has gone through this year to get to the point that they're at right now. Yep, and remind yourself that Rich Masaccia should be the head coach moving forward. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher, and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. Damn! Emergency press conference time brought to you by... I am once again here to tell you guys that I've, that I've been cut from the Las Vegas Raiders. It's Cofield and Company. I was having the time of my life and the boys won in the most dramatic fashion possible. That was the craziest game I've ever been a part of. And if that's how I go out, man. Hey, that was a hell of a game to be a part of. And the vibe around the building has just been all time. The boys are awesome. Go win this thing, man. There he is, Will Compton. Part-time football player, full-time podcaster now in and out with the Raiders. And you can hear him. He understood the business of the National Football League, came in, played a little bit last week, and who knows, maybe he's back during the playoffs. Um, again, one of the more incredible things with this Raiders team, so much tumult throughout the season, roster turnover. They made the playoffs, 10-7. and seven. We'll get into the Raiders, uh, looking back to the Charger game, looking forward to the Bengals game. Caleb Herring is with us. Caleb, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you, Steve? I'm good. I actually attended the uh, introductory press conference today for the new athletic director at UNLV. He's been the interim. He's been there for a long time, 10-plus years. Eric Harper, you know Harp pretty well. What do you think? Yeah, what do you think yeah. What do you think of the hire? And then, like, what's what's the first you know couple of missions he needs to go on to, to start moving the program up and up and up? And we're talking about programs, the whole athletic programs. Yeah, I think there's um I think Harp first of all is is a really solid guy. I mean, I he's been one of the more constant figures in UNLV athletics um over the past I I say 10 years. I don't know how when exactly the date escapes me right now, but he's been consistently there, consistently, you know, the same energy around um a commitment to UNLV as a whole. Um and that's, you know, speaks volumes today and I think just in speaking with him in the, in the years that I've known him is he's been, you know, of a like mind with me to to say that he we need to build up tradition and 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 sort of a a cohesive message for UNLV athletics and the programs that are a part of the UNLV athletic system. So I, I think that's that's his his main focus, and I think that's what he's been throughout his time at UNLV. And I'm glad he had the interim title for a while and did some things there. And 
uh, showed maybe off behind the scenes and like we, we talked about before the plane when when Marcus Roy got his first win for football we obviously that's where we contact him most but um, just little gestures like um, the sentiment of giving him the game ball for his first win things like that that stick out to me of Harp the person um, now excited to see him get the chance to to lead the way for UNLV athletics and I think the first mission is something that he said in that press conference and um, is really um, diving deep into the UNLV athlete uh, student athlete experience uh, more than anything. I think that first and foremost, I think you you want to reestablish whatever it is, whatever his principles are, the guiding principles that he wants to establish. Um, I think everybody in the program needs to be on the same page as far as that messaging. And once that message can trickle down to the campus and students, um, because the student athlete has become more central to the programs across the country with the way that NCAA, the NCAA is moving. Um, I think it's important to make sure you sew up your student athlete experience. And I think that that may be something that UNLV needs. And honestly, being someone who participated in it, and I guess you could say recent years, that student athlete experience could use, uh, you know, a tune-up. So I think that may be the first focus. And then, you know, you start to look elsewhere with the landscape of college, the college atmosphere, I guess football is where I always look at them from. But that landscape changing um, so much with the, the conference alignment and things like that, that will probably be the very next thing that, that uh, we'll try to figure out where exactly UNLV, UNLV will fall um, in that landscape, but I, I'm excited about the hire. I'm excited to see what Hart can do with it. Let's dive a little deeper on what you just said there about the student athlete experience. So I think when a lot of people hear that from an athletic director, they're like, eh, you know, cliche words, words, words. What does it actually mean? And why should the average fan who wants to see UNLV sports succeed across the board? Why should the average fan care about the student athlete experience? Well, I'll tell you what, it's it the student athlete experience is is far much more invisible than the student athletes themselves. And by that I mean you see the student athlete, you see them on sports, on TV, whatever the case may be, on social media these days, everything. But what the student athlete actually experiences, the the class schedule, the rigor of of juggling a full time job essentially is what athletes is, um, and then a, a full time academic life and career, um, the balance that that requires, the the struggles that come along with that. Um, the, the sense of tradition and pride in what you're doing in terms of what you're connected to as a student athlete of any given university, um, those things matter as in terms of how enjoyable the process is. And that's, you know, the one way to look at it. Um, then they matter as how as far as how you're how much you're able to to get from those student athletes as far as their productivity. If if you have, let's say, employees that are miserable at work, their output as productive members of that employment are not, is not going to be as good as it could have been. So I think focusing on that, you see the product on the field now is more uh, enjoyable. The, the traditions matter more. The, the alumni organization starts to give back more to the program because there's a sense of connectivity throughout the generations of the student athletes, right? Everybody has the same experience. They can attest to what happened at UNLV. They can take a trip down memory lane. So enhancing the experience, making it better, makes it more attractive for not only the alumni to come back and, and give back to the program, um, but for the fans to enjoy and, and be a part of that spirit as well. And then for future recruits, let's just say, to want to also now be a part of it as well. So, it, I mean, it's the student athlete experience kind of transcends the student athletes that are currently there. It's, it's more of a, a collective agreement of alumni, future alumni, and, and those who have yet to, to attend UNLV who agree to a certain spirit and the student athlete experience, I think is what encapsulates that spirit. And that's just my, my spin on it. I think that's an important part of the landscape of college athletics today. 
experience is a really important word, I think, not only for the student athlete, but for the fan, because I mean, there's no sugarcoating the fact that if you put it in terms of attendance, this is probably the low point for UNLV uh, in terms of basketball and football. Now, you have to take COVID into consideration, of course. Uh, that being said, what do you think from what you know of Eric Harper, he can do uh, you know, beyond the obvious, which is winning, uh, but beyond that to combine the fan experience, the student athlete experience, everything UNLV needs to try to get where it's going? Well, I think the first thing to do is to recognize that it matters. I, I, I don't know if it's necessarily one individual or just a kind of uh, a collective understanding that the fan experience has kind of been put to the back burner of, of UNLV athletics. And I, I don't say that in the recent last tenure, I, you know, Coach Royal and his staff have done a, a decent job of social, a, a good job, I would say, of social media outreach where, where they're trying to get people engaged. I think there can always be that limit push more. But I think in my experience with Harper, he his awareness of that fact, the awareness that the community needs to be engaged in a different way and, and not, um, you know, this this kind of exclusivity around UNLV athletics or the secrecy, especially in light of things like the Raiders um, right now who are having extraordinary fan experiences at home games, whether or not the teams are winning. Uh, you know, the Raiders are not the number one team in the AFC or even in their division. They barely snuck into the playoffs. But anybody who's been to a Raider game this season, can say that the fan experience was excellent. I mean, I, I went to the overtime game against the Dolphins. If you can give the experience some or the fans something of an experience to remember, then you can, you know, affect the bottom line or affect attendance that way while the product on the field or on the court is catching up to what you're trying to do. I think that's where the administration can maybe have a little bit more of an influence. So I think um, that definitely is the experience of, of being a fan and being a, a player or a student at the university is important. I think Harp understands that. And like I said, this is just from the person that I've gotten to know. This is I don't have any exclusive information on what, you know, his insight or what he's actually going to do as the AD. But just he gets he gets the the sense that the experience matters, uh, both for the student athlete and for the fans. And I think the community should be looking forward to whatever it is he comes up with to try to spark that engagement through the community and 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 gain some more fan support. As like you said, UNLV is kind of going through a rut as it goes with that fan support right now. Yeah, winning at the highest level is going to help, or a higher level is going to help UNLV basketball. Uh, winning at least to a bowl level will help UNLV football. But the fan outreach stuff, there, there does need to be a, a new level of creativity um, because fans are different now. Um, older fans are different in terms of what they want for value. And the other one is, and I asked a question today at the uh, end of the press conference about the students because – they're gone, right? And a lot of it is COVID. Now they're coming back to school, but I don't want to sit here. You're like, Caleb, you're not an old guy. You know, Candy and I are a little bit older, right? But I don't want to sit here and be like, kids these days. But there is a kids these days element to this. There has to be new ways for students to come out to games because I don't, I don't know at you know at UNLV right now, and and I'm seeing a lot around the Mountain West Conference that kids go to school. Like I know when I was looking, I mean, I was a sports fan. Right. So I, I'm I honestly did factor in like, hey, am I going to have some experiences here where I get to cover sports or as a fan get to go and enjoy sports? There are a lot of kids who don't care. So you have to find a way to get to the kids who do care. And the ones who don't, you got to find a way to titillate them as well. I mean, that's that's a big one. Uh, you know, in the short term for UNLV run a rebel basketball, even 500 or a thousand students at the Thomas and Mac will make a big difference from a noise standpoint. 
Yeah, I, that adds to the experience. And like you, the college football or college sports scene was a big part of why I picked university and and why I was interested in college to begin with. It was more of a of a of a atmosphere choice than it was a scholastic choice, if that makes sense. Which may not be the most guided principles right. to live looking by. Back, I'm, looking back, looking back, yeah, it, it is kind of silly, and in a way, maybe, maybe if kids now are like, "Hey, it's all about academics, screw sports," they actually are doing the right thing. Yeah, but they're, they're making think, right decisions. We shouldn't judge I, them. I think going to sports, you know, being in a community is part. There's more to college than just a straight up education in the classroom. There is a community thing, and you know, making bonds that Absolutely. way that, that makes the the experience, uh, you know, a real value. Absolutely. And I think we're inter- we're entering into this this, I guess, for the last 10 to 15 years, this age of of immediacy and, and digital output and the information age where if what's in front of you is not entertaining enough, it's very easy to just pull out your phone and be entertained by something else or to be in touch with the national uh, scene or whatever's going on on the national landscape that whatever's your community if it's not engaging your interest right now at this moment, it's very easy to say something else will entertain me. I mean, it, it's very current. And I think it's not just in, in school. It's in everything. It's parenting. I, I'm going through that. It's like trying to keep your child's attention right now is I mean, kids already have a short attention span. Nowadays, it's like immediate gratification is the, the rule of the day. So if you're behind the curve as far as that, if you're maybe not the most interesting thing, let's say in your town, which UNLV has always had that battle, right? I mean, the strip has always been there. Um, that's always been something to fight against, that that competition of interest. Um, if that's the battle, now you add the Raiders, you add the Aces, which have something going on. You, you, you talk about having a Major League Baseball team. All the other interesting things that go on where UNLV slips farther down the priority list, you have to, like you said, find creative new ways to to engage that that base. And then, like you said, distance learning. And I think this probably even predates covid for UNLV, I would be interested to know the numbers as far as online learning for UNLV. And that was something of a phenomenon when I was in, in, in school there where there were so many courses available online where you could not build the sense of community from people actually being on campus, from people going to the to the dining commons or to the student union and actually having pep rallies for the football games or the basketball games or what have you. So you didn't get the sense of community because a lot of people were web-based learning, right? So I now, especially with the pandemic, I'm sure that's a, an even bigger factor that teams really didn't account for, programs didn't account for as far as getting fan interest, right? It's not like, hey, just have a pep rally in the square. We'll garner some interest and all the student body will be out at the game because we told them to in the pep rally. We'll give them good grades or whatever. The teachers are, are advertising tickets to the game um, during class. That's not that traditional way of thinking is is antiquated at this point. And there's going to have to be innovation where uh, especially for a team like UNLV, where the brand is not as big as, say, Alabama, where just going to an Alabama game speaks for itself. UNLV has to think of different alternatives to to spark that interest, not only in the community, but right on the campus of, of the students that are actually walking the halls to get out to the MAC and pack the MAC or get out to the Legion Stadium and, and participate and make some crowd noise. Love having Caleb on to talk uh, quarterbacking and football. And if you get a chance to listen to the games right here on ESPN Las Vegas, it's it's next level stuff, man. It is like instantaneous breakdown of what's going on on the field. So I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about what you watched in the national title game with Stetson Bennett, because the entire first half, you had a bunch of know-it-all dorks like myself who were like, hey, this guy's not good enough to win a national title. What the hell are they doing? Where's JT Daniels? And then in the second half, Stetson Bennett made some plays. So I just I wonder when you watch a walk on and yeah, he's playing at Georgia, so he's still a damn good quarterback. When you watch Stetson Bennett, 
What do you diagnose? What do you see with him? Like, why does Kirby Smart like him so much over JT Daniels, who frankly may be an NFL talent? I think the reason that guys like Stetson Bennett get the chance or the leeway or get the favor, I guess, that they do from their coaches is because of the potential they bring to every play. Um, traditional quarterbacks, I think, are becoming somewhat of a dinosaur in football. Um, and that and that's not a knock on, you know, the Tom Brady's of the world. But how many Tom Brady's now are giving, you know, are able to calculate and and really break down games and, and beat you from the pocket? It, it just it just doesn't exist. The speed of the game and the way that the game has changed as far as the athleticism in all phases. I mean, you got Dean Lyman running four fives and four fours at, at 300 pounds. Um, it's almost impossible to block and to scheme up blocking schemes to stop some of these guys. So what becomes a bigger factor a lot of times is what happens in the plays that don't go according to plan. The broken plays, as they're called. If you have a, an immobile quarterback who's unable to make something out of that nothing or is unable to avoid a sack in a critical situation in close games like the national championship was, those small differences really end up mattering. Where as opposed to a 10-yard sack, you at least get back to the line of scrimmage and give yourself a chance on third down. Um, if it's a broken play and, and, you know, it's man coverage and they're playing tight man coverage all the way down the field and your receivers have no openings, can you scramble and get me five yards? That could be the difference in a ball game. And I think that's why Stetson Bennett gets, gets to look. And that's why more and more you're seeing an appreciation for athletic or scrambling dual threat quarterbacks. Whereas, you know, in the past, unfortunately, that value wasn't seen. People didn't see the value. They didn't want quarterbacks that brought that skill set. It was about passing from the pocket. And that day has gone. And I think it's more important now, more important than ever, I should say, um, to have some sort of dynamic capability to make the most of bad situation. And that's what Stetson Bennett does. And that's what I think a lot of scrambling quarterbacks do is they give your offense a chance when everything doesn't go according to plan. And I guess it worked out more often than not. It's a risk. It's a gamble. But it worked out for, for Georgia. And they ended up where they wanted to be, which is uh, a national championship team. Caleb, on Sunday night, with Justin Herbert. He's a guy who we know can run when he needs to. It's not necessarily part of his game at all times, but what did you think of that performance? Because to me, what I saw from Justin Herbert on Sunday night, even in a losing effort, was the kind of thing that makes me really upset that I don't get to see Justin Herbert in the playoffs because he was <laughs> that good to me. You're a timeout away, man. I, I mean, no, you're, you're absolutely right. That was... That was a case of a guy putting his cape on. And I, I don't know if I've seen um, – and it's, it's hard to really compare to anything else because that was sheer will, will. I mean, his willpower was what got the team into a situation where they're tied in overtime um, and, you know, throwing 60-plus times in a game, getting creamed. I, I mean, I don't know if a physical beating could have been withstand, uh, to, could have been taken by any other quarterback. The big body of, that Justin Herbert has – I mean, it's like a punishment, but willed his team to a chance to win. And unfortunately, he was on the sideline when that chance was was playing out. So we never know what could have happened. But like you said, you want to see a guy like that in the playoffs. But at the same time, it's like that's the reason football is a team sport. I think the difference, you know, everybody makes about quarterback versus quarterback. Herbert played phenomenal, outstanding, uh, Superman effort from him. But the difference came because Josh Jacobs was able to run the ball effectively down the stretch. And that. I mean, the one-dimensional nature of the, the Chargers down the stretch 
while it kept them in the game, also made them so predictable that it was all on him. It was all on the one guy. Whereas you look at what the Raiders were able to do. Derek Carr didn't have his best game numbers wise, but Josh Jacobs showed up and they had a more balanced attack. And when they needed to run the ball, they were able to. And and they ended up with the game winning field goal. That was the difference. I mean, but Justin Herbert's effort at quarterback is something that that that's a legendary game to say that of a losing performance is, is crazy. But that game cements him in that locker room, at least as one of the elite guys and, and a guy that can be trusted in, in the critical circumstances, in those winning moments of games. Justin Herbert proved it in that fourth quarter. Caleb Herring is with us here on Cofield and company. PFF had Joe Burrow really highly rated this year. What do you think of Joe Burrow? Uh, Joe is one of my favorites. I, I, I said that when he was in college. We talked about it before when he was in college. I mean, I've never seen somebody play the game the way he has as far as his demeanor and approach and his the amount of times that he seems like he's I don't know if he always is right on the field, but it seems like he's right like all the time on the field. Like I don't question his decisions. And that's something that I admire from a quarterback. It seems like he understands the game on on a very high level for his age, you know, considering. Um I, I think he I, as far as top quarterbacks, I don't know if I'd say he's he's top five in the league necessarily, or or, or I don't know what category I'd put him in. Because he's there, he, I mean, he's in the conversation with what he's done so far and the impact that he's had in the city that has not been very good at winning, let's say, and he's brought winning there. Um, I, 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 he, he's up there on my list. I, his college career, I'd argue, is probably the best college, uh, I say the best single season of a college quarterback that I've seen or know about, right? Like what he was able to do in his college career. And now he's kind of carried some of that momentum after the injury, of course. He's carried that momentum into his professional career without much time of a learning curve, right? He's he's doing this with very limited actual minutes on the field. So, I I mean, he's going to be something to watch for the next. I think quarterback-wise, the future of the NFL looks pretty good. It's going to be fun, entertaining, at least to watch these younger quarterbacks kind of take over the league whenever Tom Brady decides to let it go or Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers decide to pass the torch, if they do. Um, but I, I think Joe Burrow is going to be right at the front of that list of elite quarterbacks in the future. If you were a quarterback in the NFL and you're looking at a roster next year that doesn't have an elite wide receiver, would you beg management to bring in Antonio Brown? <laughs> God, no. No, absolutely <laughs> not. I, I would I – would, <laughs> there's, there's nothing as a quarterback that says bring Antonio Brown to me. Um, and it's, it's, it's bigger than football. I just – I think I would I would rather not try to help someone be an adult or or with their mental health issues. I would rather focus on the game. Now, if I'm talking about being a good person, it's a very different topic. I mean, obviously, people need help, and I w- I would love to be there to help everybody. But it's it makes it very hard when that that line is crossed. And I think Tom Brady's going through that now with where his his desire to help as a person now interferes interferes with his ability to produce what he wants on the football field, and that's to win games, right? You don't know if a guy's going to be present with you or not. That's the first box that you should check is, is he willing to be here? If there's a question mark there, then I, I really don't have time to try to build chemistry with that person. So, no, A.B. is right now he's toxic, in my opinion, um, to, to locker room chemistry and success. So I, I'd stay away from Antonio Brown. There's, there's, there's no amount of touchdowns, I think, that could overcome uh, what Antonio Brown's putting Tampa Bay through right now, that circus. Uh, in Florida is, is, I mean, no, God, no, please, no. 
Caleb, we appreciate it. Uh, real quick, pressure, Raiders or Bengals this weekend? Who's going to win? Ah, I'm, I, unfortunately, I'm going, with, I'm going with the Bengals. Just my gut to say they're going to oh, win unreal. it. But I, I would love for the Raiders to win. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I got to go Bengals. At some point, the emotional roller coaster it becomes too much to handle. This season for the Raiders has been nuts. And I think it, it's not the right time to be going on the road with a hot Cincinnati team to try to get a, an upset in the playoffs. But I would love to be wrong about that. Thanks, Caleb. We'll talk to you, buddy. All right. Have a good one. There he is, Caleb Herring. On the way back, oh, my favorite, my favorite meme of the day. Tiger King is back, and he's looking pretty familiar. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. We're going to investigate what we did well here over the last month and, and look at the things we need to correct, and we'll look at their tape and what they've done well and uh, hopefully some things we might be able to exploit and, and uh, be in position to go play a good game on Saturday. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 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 Richie B., future head coach of the Raiders, well... We'll see. We'll see what happens this weekend. Don't know exactly what the Raiders are thinking behind the scenes. Adam Schefter did an interview today on Satellite, so we'll get into a couple of points from that one on both Harbaugh and Basaccia. That'll be coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Bengals on tap. So, Candy, who is the incredibly talented individual who put together the Tiger King meme with... Joe Exotic looking like Joe, not Joe Burrow, Derek Carr. That's the way to stick it to those Bengals. Make the Tiger King Derek Carr, the dominator. Shout out to Charlotte, North Carolina. <laughs> Omni Design Graphics on Twitter at Omni Design GFX is the graphic designer who caught my eye this morning. My tweet deck column for Raiders, which, by the way, you have to have a minimum of 10 retweets and 10 likes to make it into my Raiders tweet deck column. I don't want that rando oh, wow. crap. No, this was clearly already blowing up before I got my hands on it. But uh, Derek Carr as Joe Exotic as the new Tiger King. Yes. Sets us up for the weekend perfectly, doesn't it? Do doesn't this put us right on the footing we need to be? Derek Carr is going to tame those cats. Or be fed to them. I'm going to make the dangerous move of going down the TV path again. Uh, yesterday it was an El Floppo when I talked about my recent affinity for re-watching The Love Boat. Um, I assume everyone on the show has checked out all of the new Tiger King episodes, C correct? Candy? Don't, don't put yourself into flop territory again. Come on, man. Oh, no. You don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. You know uh, you'll Ari has. You you'll remember has. Ari uh, wouldn't watch it for, it was probably seven months we yelled at him to watch it. And then I think finally in the fall, because you remember Tiger King really exploded at the beginning of the pandemic, and that was probably a big reason why it exploded, uh, aside from the craziness. Ari, did you ever watch it? Am I recalling that correctly? And 
Yes, I, I, did, I did after several weeks yeah. of being berated because I wouldn't. It wasn't several weeks. I swear months. to God, like, it, it was on in like April and May of 2020. And then you you sent over show notes in November and you're like, oh, yeah, Tiger King. <laughs> let's talk about it. Like, what? I watched it, you know, when when I when I did, I think was the right time. I thought it was a lot of hype. It was cool. But you guys were uh, obsessed with it for weeks and just, months. Because it's freaking it's it's so foolish. Uh, and I think a lot of people, when they saw Tiger King 2 was out, and they're like, oh, there can't be more. There's more. Trust me. Because what basically what they do, and I won't spoil it for everyone, is mm-hmm. I can uh, I can see Candy just throwing his head back, like, really, we're going to do this again mm-hmm. with Cofield's El Flopo TV advice? Um, basically, what they concentrated on was every other uh, animal nut whack job that has these exotic animals around the country and how it is this whole network of freaks who are involved in this and in the end you actually by the time you're done with it because they they cover the guy jeff lowe who's been here in vegas and perump you know he's the one who you know, i guess stole everything away from joe exotic who's in jail now and they do a lot more on carol baskin and how she murdered allegedly took out her husband don then you got there's this guy doc Antel. that was four episodes on that that guy is like next level lunatic and a criminal uh big time criminal it's a damn good watch candy and i expect i come on do homework for the show so here's my question for you i do you sleep less than adam hill because i know adam hill goes into like a cryogenic chamber for 30 minutes a night and comes back out refreshed but i would just imagine you do three hours of radio a day occasionally you do podcasts i'm, I'm assuming you're doing guest hits all over the country like i cover I don't some know. i cover some games here and there travel you cover a little bit. some you, you travel a little bit you you are you are constantly on private jets being shuttled around the country for unlv when do you watch all of what you watch you squeeze it in when you can no i didn't say did you see the kodak black thing i said when do you watch everything there's time, man. There's time. Apparently, I need more of it. What, am I going to have long, long, deep conversations with the SO? Uh, that's what we do. We watch TV. We bond over oh, TV. Oh, now we're getting into it. Now we're getting somewhere. Well, so my th- my believe, problem believe is that, that I live that, by myself. That joke uh, that joke goes the other way, too. Uh, she, she's not sitting here looking for a deep conversation with uh, the dunce on this microphone. Fair enough. I mean, I think, and I think I've learned this firsthand that that when your SO can turn on a radio program and hear your stupid voice at any time, like the oh, last yeah. thing they want is to hear it at home too. She's uh, my guess is she's listened to this show over the last ten years for less than ten minutes combined, and I think that might be aggressive. I think it's also a smart life choice. Uh, yeah, you don't. I mean, no. most most no. of the stuff I mention about her is positive but uh god i forget who was saying it we were we were joking about it off the air the other day that uh like we expect privacy on our show don't listen to the show this is my time don't listen to don't listen to this show where thousands of people around the market are listening this is none of your business you oh, probably no. don't want to hear some of the stuff that goes on here no various members of my family have found this show and there is absolutely no going back it's like a moonlight graham moment like we've crossed that line over on field of dreams and i'm like you probably do not want this education about my life um and <laughs> i i cannot let the people in on what i just saw i i i 
Cofield just had his own Kodak Black moment. It was unbelievable. I, I don't know exactly what was going on there, but Cofield, do you, do you want to you want to share? There's no? the the the, the uh, house is overrun. I'm doing the show from the house today. <laughs> the uh, the house is overrun with with kitty cats. So I'm uh, just well, saying you gra- you grabbed the cat by the tail and yes, it was yes. it was remarkable. She it likes per- to, she, perfect timing. She likes to walk all over the place and try to distract me, but she only distracted you because I am. Oh no, I'm not distracted. Really that was just much better than talking about your TV consumption. Three six four eleven hundred three six four one zero zero. Brilliant, brilliant transition. Hey, on the twenty second of this month, great show in town. Who the hell was I talking to last night? Oh, one of our sportsbook buddies is all fired up to go see Tool. You can go see Tool as well. Great show. AXS.com is where you can buy the tickets, but it's at the Fortress. We've got two tickets right now. Caller seven three six four eleven hundred three six four one one zero zero. On the way back. I got to talk to Candy about some of the uh, lines and uh, the slight movement around the NFL for this wild card weekend. And also, now that we're seeing another state like New York in the fold for sports betting, man, there's some stuff going on with some of the new sports books. And we knew this would happen where the casuals just don't know. Uh, yesterday, uh, you know, a story was made a big deal of that uh, Julian Edelman had gotten a bunch of money from a sports book and then decided to make a bet. And man, People are betting into just unbelievably bad numbers when it comes to value. And I guess if this is all for, you know, blanks and giggles, that'd be fine. But this is real money on the line. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Gambling. I'm going to kill your bookmaker. I'm going to rip his throat out. I will step on his throat until the man chokes. Let me tell you how. Winners, 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 winners. Free, 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 free. So, Candy, with all the new sports books uh, coming on, right? And, uh, you know, BetMGM advertises with us and. Uh, we like what they do, and you know that's a it's a long time traditional sports book company that's now branched out across the country. Um, but they have competition, you know, in this market from other traditional books, and then they've got a lot of new competition with you know books like DraftKings and and FanDuel. And one of the things that's really interesting are the odds that people are given, especially in the states where they're not really up on sports gambling, and I think that's part of the reason why you know when you look at New Jersey over the last year and a half, uh, not only has their handle surpassed what goes on here in the state of Nevada, but oftentimes the hold is is crazy high. You know, it's tough to freaking scratch. I mean, don't get too nuts on this one, but it, it's a little tougher in Nevada to scratch out a mega profit. But you've seen in, in certain states where, uh, you know, the hold sometimes can be 8, 9, 10, 12, 14%, which is a relatively big win for sports betting. And I don't know. I don't know how seriously we should talk about the stuff. It's just like, hey, it's all fun. But we're seeing heavy pushes on the same game parlay thing, which I think is just ridiculous because the hold on that, apparently, you could be talking upwards of like 30%. Um, listen, one of the book sportsbook companies aligned themselves with uh, Colin Cowherd's new volume podcast. And, you know, one of their sports gambling experts about two months ago, experts, uh, was pushing same game parlays, which are they're almost guaranteed losers. I saw doing it the other day. So uh, BetMGM is working a promotion with Julian Edelman. They gave him $100,000. Hey, do whatever you want with it in terms of a social media push, right? And he decided to bet a Super Bowl parlay, the Super Bowl matchup parlay, I think I have this correct, of the Bucks and the Patriots meeting up in the Super Bowl. And when I saw the number that he got, 
I was like, wait, what is what is happening here with future numbers? Did you see this? I saw that he placed the bet. I didn't see what the numbers were. I think the payoff is only like six to one, which I, I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> what? Yeah, I don't know how that's possible when the Patriots are a long shot to win the AFC and the Bucks aren't the favorite to win the NFC. So if the Bucks, I mean, I'm going to pick a number out of the sky because I haven't looked today. What I would assume the Bucks are probably what maybe five to one to win the NFC uh, right now, and the Patriots. Like the last I saw on them for Super Bowl was twenty, so I'm going to assume they're in the ten to twelve range for AFC. That okay. sound about right to you? Yeah. So what if you took what if you bet both of those individually, or you tried to get a true odds parlay on the two of those together? It's a hell of a lot better than six to one. Um, Edelman, and I, you know, let me get this correct. It was it was actually WinBet, not BetMGM. But you know, love giving uh, BetMGM the free pops. Why not? Right? They do a good job with us. Um, Edel, and then Edelman tweets it out. He goes, WinBet paid me a hundred thousand for some social media. I'll take five hundred forty-five thousand instead. Like, you will? Seriously? And he played an exact matchup. He played. That's what he played. Exact matchup. Bucks Patriots. Yes. Yep. Mm, that is a terrible, terrible number. <laughs> okay. But why would they stop? Right? They won't. Isn't there going to have to be a market adjustment at some point where people smarten up or they're just not, it's just not going to happen? Well, look, here's the thing. When it comes to the hold for a sports book, we know that if you don't know what the number is, it's low. The, the historical hold here in Nevada, 5.4%. That's on average over the last 50 years what sports books in Nevada have helped but you start talking about parlays and i mean look in nevada that number is probably not gonna clear what uh, between 10 and 15 percent a lot of months it can be higher depending on how much play there is but i mean there are some states out there right now where it's way higher than that it's double that and it's because that's what the push is if you go to another state in cofield you've probably experienced this traveling around and signing up for some of the other apps every notification you get is about parlays it's not just come bet your standard you know, dime sides. It's come bet this parlay. It is, we'll give you an odds boost to bet this parlay. It's going to go from plus 500 to plus 550, which means nothing. So in the end, if you're going to go and push the parlays, yeah, you're going to increase the hold for a while. But after a while, what kind of consumer are you trying to go get? Do you want someone who feels like they're playing the lottery? Well, yeah then you play parlays. You're essentially playing the lottery with your odds most days. Am I figuring this out right? If you, This is basically a two-team parlay, right? Well, and here's the thing about it. It's not just... If you want to talk about it as a two-team parlay, it's a two-team future, right? So right. let's just say you believe that these teams are going to make it this far, right? Right. And especially talking about the Patriots... They're going to be underdogs in every game from here on in. Right. Why would you not just be money line parlay and roll it over on the Patriots every time as opposed to getting that wonderful, what, uh, uh, you know, five and a half to one that he got? So if I were figuring this out, I could just put plus 375 for Bucks NFC Championship, 10 to one for Pat's Championship. And it's a, it's a, right? That's a parlay, right? That would be parlaying two futures essentially yeah there i mean it's not not necessarily going to always work out that way but okay okay a uh, hundred dollars wins fifty one twenty five. 
It's 51 to 1. Don't ask Julian about these things. He's too busy. Oh uh, he's too busy doing truly commercials in the 7-Eleven. I feel like my math is off. It, there can't be that much of a gap. But anyway, uh, just a lesson, everyone. Look into your true odds. And as Candy said, freaking split it up or start breaking it down and going game by game. Well, I mean, my God, just to add one thing to that, it, it, there are a thousand different parlay calculators available online. Just type in parlay calculator and see if if you're going to if you're doing a parlay that they are prepackaging for you. Just yeah. see if the odds actually make sense. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today.